0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church, Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message.
1: There we go. Well, these are Dave's buckets. Dave is definitely one of the cleanest house and car ever. So, uh, and if you see him down at the markets trying to sell any of them. So brilliant, Uh, so exciting, Um, we're talking about money. Everybody smile, (laughs) stop looking so scared. Dave did a great job last week. If you haven't heard Dave's talk last week, it's worth a re-listen. If you have, it's worth a re-listen. And if you haven't, it's a must. You need to listen to um, probably one of the best teachers I've heard on tithing, so really, really good. Um, Somebody really beautiful, a lot more nicer than me, is going to read her scriptures this morning. So um, she's going to come on now, Joshua 6, verses 15 to 21. Watch the screens.
2: Today's reading is taken from Joshua 6, verse 15 to 21. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priests sounded the trumpet blast joshua commanded the army shout for the lord has given you the city the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the lord only rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them otherwise you will make the camp of israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord, and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord, and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys.
1: Great. That was Maddie. That was my granddaughter, who's now looking down on me. We've all got taller. I feel like my mum used to say, like a cow's tail, I'm growing down. But there we go. Let's pray. ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, thank you for the spoken word. Thank you for the power of it. We look forward to what you have to say to us this morning. We say, speak, Lord, for your sons and your daughters are listening. Interesting little line there that um, sometimes we miss at the tail end. This is just, by the way, this isn't in my preach this morning. It says that, so everyone charged straight in and took the city. Theologians reckon that the walls didn't tumble down. The walls went into the ground. They ran straight in. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Sometimes we get the picture that they just, the walls crumbled and they climbed over the rubble. Um, in to take the city, but they reckon, see, most theologians reckon that the walls just sunk into the ground, and they ran straight in that little line. They ran straight in. That's, by the way, that's extra. I'll not charge you for that. All right. If if you're studying the book of Joshua, if you're studying the book of Joshua, you can probably break it into three um, sections uh, that will maybe help the way we're talking at this moment in time. The first five chapters that we've spent some time on over the last and we, while Dave and I have been talking about preparing, about this developing God's people, about all that they were doing, preparing them on the other side of the Jordan. And then when they got them into the land, remember we talked about how when they were in a really vulnerable place, when they were in enemy territory, God then um, instructed to circumcise all the fighting men. Uh, all the males, and of course he was demobilizing them right in the enemy's camp, which took a load of trust and obedience, and basically what he was doing, he was getting them to deal with this before they would deal with that, getting them to deal with their own stuff before they would actually face the enemy, which is really important. And then we, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this chapter 6, which will run right through to chapter 12, which basically covers a whole section of conquering where we'll see them where they need to begin to understand God's strategy, that the strategy to take Jericho and the strategy to take Ai are gonna be very different. They need to hear the fresh word of God um, for the taking of the city. Conquering is really important. And then um, the 13 to 24, looking at how to grasp God's goodness, the dividing of all the lands into tribes and all of that. Now, having just conquered one obstacle, um, uh, an uncrossable river, Now, Commander Joshua um, is seeing another significant obstacle, um, a seemingly indestructible city. Now, it's a bit of a picture of all of our lives, because all of our lives have obstacles. All of our lives, we get things. We get Jerichos that come before us, strongholds that we need the uh, help of the Lord to destroy in our lives. And Israel couldn't just simply bypass this. You sort of think, well, why didn't they just leave it alone and head on into the land? This was their key to the land. This was really important, and so if they didn't take this, they couldn't have made progress in the land until they couldn't have left this as a non-conquered stronghold, all right? And similarly, similarly in our lives, we must conquer the things. There's things in our lives that we must not bypass, that we must, that we need to deal with. We need to deal with our own stuff, basically. And, um, uh, or else the rest of Christian life just seems virtually impossible. And um, Paul would describe this in his own life. He would describe it in 2 Corinthians 10 about the pulling down of strongholds. He would tell us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And I've taught you several times on the pulling down of strongholds. And then in two chapters on in two, chapter, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul would talk about his own obstacle. He would talk about his thorn in the flesh who um, the Lord would say, and my grace is sufficient for you. And so um, we would, he would actually begin to say that in dealing with these obstacles, it would unleash the power of God even amidst his own weakness. He says, when I'm weak, I'm really actually strong because God comes to work in that. That being the case... If we look at this breaking of uh, Joshua, that being the case of where we are at present in the story, it could it be that God is teaching us something of his strategy, something to conquer, that Dave um, touched on very powerfully last week. Now, I want to highlight two words that you wouldn't probably have picked them up in Maddie's reading, but there was two words, devoted things, that jumped out at me when Dave read it last week, devoted things, things that are non-negotiable. What are the devoted things in my life? The non-negotiable, the things that that aren't here to play with, all right? Because there's some big stuff that are, is really important. Now, um, I've told you this story before, but back in 1992, true story, this is where Google is so wonderful, um, true story, back in 1992, a container ship left Hong Kong and uh, sailing towards um, New York. And it hit a storm sort of midway there, just at the top of that red arrow, hit a storm and lost some of its containers over the side of the ship. Just in case you ever send anything by containers, I worked in the haulage industry for many years, and that's a common occurrence. You can lose an odd container, just in case, just by the way. And, um, and this one, this one of these containers sank to the bottom of the ocean. But when it got to the bottom of the ocean, it exploded because inside it were rubber ducks. And there wasn't just one rubber duck, there was 29,000 of them things, all right? And so when it hit the bottom of the ocean and the water began to seep into the container, it just couldn't hold it and it exploded and all of these containers, or all of these ducks um, um, floated to the top. And uh, some have washed up on the shores of Hawaii. You'll see the dates there. This went on for 25 years. They were finding these rubber ducks. They found them in America, in Alaska, in Australia, Pacific Northwest. Some were found frozen in the Arctic ice. Some made their way right up around the top there, you can see, right into Scotland. Um, some made into Newfoundland in the Atlantic. 25 years as it going? A matter of fact, if you Google the story, which is good reading, You'll find that it taught them a lot by tracing these ducks and where they all landed up over the 25 years. It taught them a lot about gulf streams and and winds and tides and all of that. But the story caught me because I began to think of what are the things that you can't hold down in your life? What are the things that are non-negotiable? What are the things that are absolutes in the Christian life? Like prayer, for instance. It's an absolute. You can't hold it down. You, 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 it starts out directive and then it explodes. You pray for you pray for somebody to get saved. And we've seen this many, many times. A dad gets saved, or a mum gets saved, or a child gets saved. And then all of a sudden, there's a family gathers in. And the next thing we know, there's a family saved. And then they bring their aunts and their uncles, and their grannies and their grandads, And the next thing we know, there's a little community saved. And then the next thing, they'll bring some of their neighbors, because new converts are the best evangelists. And this thing begins to grow. It's like the rubber ducks. You can't hold it down. And it just goes everywhere. And, uh, and so I, I think... I think there's a little bit of this regarding our finance as well. And Joshua is, God is referring to Joshua and saying, be careful with the devoted things. Be really careful with the devoted things. Don't mess about with them. These are to go into the treasury of the Lord. There are something special about these devoted things. Now we all know that if you want treasure, you've got to dig deep. And um, there's... It's just common knowledge that there's treasure in deep places. People now, when they, I was going to say, when they retire, they buy these, coin these things metal detectors, and you see them walking along the beach, looking for man. It's a good thing to do when you retire. Fine. And that was a good, uh, and, and uh, what, what, what we do, I, I, again, I've told you this story several times, I'm sure, but it's, it's worthy of a repeat. Gandhi said the world belongs, or the future belongs to the people who tells the best story, so sorry for the repeat. But on holiday some years ago, we were, we were, we'd got these diving rods. And Daniel was just a little boy at the time. If you saw him in the 9.30, somebody said to me, he definitely wasn't little because he's, he's towering above me and Lorraine now. But um, he was just a little boy. And we were throwing the rods into the water and diving down. And a couple of them slid down into the deep end. And, of course, his little body was small couldn't get down into the depths and he couldn't get them. And I said, I'll get them. And he said, my body's heavy enough to go down there. And uh, and he, he says, no, dad, I want to get them. And I said, well, look, I'll help you. So here's what to do. You jump in the air, you jump in the air, and, and then hold your breath and I'll push you down. It's just what any good dad would do. And uh, he he jumped up in the air. I put my hand on his head. He, he took a big deep breath and down he plunged and... and, and five or ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> He'd he come up with these two diving rods. He was The water was coming out of his nose and out of his mouth, but he had a big smile. Got them, Dad. Got them. And there's something about, there's something that happens when whenever, I, I think God has to push us into some deep places to find some things. And uh, I think that We're created to be participators, not consumers, and the problem with the church today worldwide is we've created a consumeristic society that come wanting to get something. A recent survey showed in America that they asked um, something like 25,000 people why they attended church. The top answer was clean toilets, all right? The second answer was "There's, there's something for my kids, and the third answer was, my wife gets along okay here. It's, it's funny and it's awful. And the problem is we've created this consumeristic society of what can I get out of this, what's in this for me, rather than the... Um, participation. Adam and Eve had to work the ground, even in the perfect state before the fall. They worked the ground. They worked with their hands in the ground. They tilled the ground. And God came down in the cool of the day. What do you think they talked about? They talked about the work. They talked about what they'd done. There was something godly in this. And so, um, so if, 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 if when Daniel went down to get those rods, I didn't want him to stay down there for 10 minutes, and he didn't want to stay down there, but it was important he went down to get them. And so there's, I think there's some things that, that God teaches us about life, some anchors in our life that are really important, that are non-negotiables. And I think it would be good for you to ask what those anchors are. I think for me, um, they're my daily prayer life. I'm a person of action. I like doing stuff. So sometimes I, I, I don't know about you, but I go to pray and I see a picture, uh, you know, and I think, oh, that needs straightened. And, uh... Or mobile phones, or disaster in your prayer life. Daily disciplines, what are your daily disciplines? These are things, if they're not operating in your life in a daily, deep, consistent place, things will begin to go a little skew with. And I think your giving is one of those too. And, And you have to dig deep for them. And sometimes I think God has to actually push you, give you help down to get them. And I call them the now I know moments. That moment when Abram was about to plunge a knife into his son Isaac and the angel of the Lord would cry with a load of emotion I would imagine, don't lay your hand upon the lad for now I know that you love me. How did he not know before? Well he brought him to a test. He brought him to this place. And so developing the habit of, of tithing is something that is so important. Now, in this little continuum, you'll see the devotion continuum, 1 to 10. If I were to ask you where... Where would you put yourself on the devotion? If, if we're talking about devoted things, if we're talking about our prayer life, if we're talking about our daily disciplines, if we're talking about our giving, where would you put yourself on the devotion line to God and those things? We'd probably drop ourselves into five or four to six, wouldn't we? The sort of the humble Northern Ireland thing. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, We're Trinitarian here in Emmanuel, so we believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We're not oneness, all right? We're Trinitarian. We believe in the Godhead of three individual personalities that are so united in one. And as Trinitarians, can I say to you that I can show you a Father in heaven who is absolutely 10 plus on that continuum. He is sold out, devoted to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, sold out in devotion. Amazing, isn't it? I can show you Jesus, the son who came onto his own and when his own didn't receive him, to as many as received him, to them give he part, totally sold out in devotion, all right? I can show you the Holy Spirit that came in Acts 2 and filled everybody in the place and has been here ever since, sold out. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are absolutely sold out in devotion and that's why I struggle a little bit when somebody wants to argue with me, do I give my tithe before tax or after tax? I think it's a bit of a cheap conversation to tell you the truth. And so our, 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 our idea is that tithing is something that God is really speaking to us about. And I think that tithing is a test. I think it's a test. And, um, and it's the only place in the Bible, of course, that we know that, the, the, that God tells us to test him. He says, test me in this, see? See, will I not open the windows of heaven? And so Dave expounded this last week, so there's no point in me going into that again. But the number 10 in the Bible, numbers in the Bible have significance. So six, for instance, is the number of man. Seven is the number of perfection. Ten is the number of testing, all right? So when you read 10 in the Bible, it's always around testing. So I'm gonna do a little um, experiment on you, all right? You can answer me, all right? You can shout out the answers, all right? Okay, it's not multiple choice. And you'll find a pattern in it, all right? So, for instance, first question, how many plagues were there in Egypt? Yeah. Ten. That was good. Top class. Ten. Yeah, I could have asked the question, I could have asked the question, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Which was ten. <laughs> ten com- ten um, plagues. Right. How many commandments are there? There's some who's not so Sure. How many commandments are there? Ten, yeah, of course there are. There we go. See the pattern? So I made it really easy. How many times did God test Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness? This is a pattern. Just, that's, that's the right answer. If you want to look up Numbers 14.22, just if you think I made that up, Numbers 14.22 will tell you these 10 times were tested in the wilderness. All right. How many times was Jacob's wages changed? Ten. Ten. Yeah. Um, how many days was Daniel tested? Ten. Okay. Okay. How many virgins were there in Matthew twenty five that were tested? Now there were five wise and five foolish, just to give you a clue. Ten. Okay. Um, we we're, were doing really well. We're doing really well. How many days of testing are mentioned in the church at Smyrna in Revelation two ten? Ten. Yeah, brilliant. How many disciples were there? Ha <laughs> ha nearly got you. Sorry, that was that was a, that was just a trick. All right. Um so you can see that ten is the ten is the, is testing, all right? And uh, and we live in the days of lotto, we live in the days of fortune cookies, tarot cards, horseshoes, four leaf clovers, rabbits' foot, on and on we go. Everybody wants to be lucky. But I want to tell you this morning that. As believers, we can live a blessed life, not a lucky life. We can live a blessed life. Look, and it's what God designed from the beginning in Genesis 5, 1 and 2, it tells us this. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. So from the very beginning, we've been set up to be blessed. And here's what happened. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, even when they sent and brought a curse upon the, and the whole world got cursed because of that. Even under that realm, God still developed a system where we, we could be blessed. All you've got to do is read the first, I haven't time to read them, but if you read the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28, it talks about being blessed in the field. Now, there's a, there's a big condition. If because it's all around obedience now because of the curse. It's all around obedience. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and on and on we could go. But in Deuteronomy 28, he's talking about blessed in the field, blessed in the city, blessed in the street. And he sums it all up in verse 6. And he says, you'll be blessed when you go in and you'll be blessed when you're coming out. So, so there's something about this blessed life that God wants to speak to us about. Because a blessed life, I think, needs to start with a generous life. Now, again, we could go back to Deuteronomy or back to Malachi, to Dave's verse last week, and talk about the testing, and you might say, well, Phil, that's the Old Testament, uh, to which I would agree that is the Old Testament, but I would argue back it's the Bible. All right, there's some things in the Old Testament. Not everything in the Old Testament was a bad idea. Like, it tells us in the Old Testament not to commit adultery. Doesn't mean that we're new in the New Covenant that we can commit adultery. It tells us in the it tells us not to steal in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that now that we're in the New Covenant that we can steal. So we can't throw it all out. We just can't throw it all out and think that now that we're under the New Covenant, all we've got is just the New Testament and the rest is just paper and two bits of leather. The Bible is God's word to us. But if you want to fight me on it being in the New Testament, I'll give you a passage, all right? Um, Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in the handling of worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See that word, true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Very powerful, isn't it? And what about this paradox here? One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds in Julie but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It sort of hurts your brain a bit, doesn't it? Like this is the, this is the economy of heaven we're talking. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said there's no lack in heaven. And that's right. There's no lack in heaven. And so when you do a talk on money, and Dave and I and the guys have been chatting about this, when you do a talk on money, it seems like we're asking for money. We're not asking for your money. We're we're, we're revealing to you the true blessing of God that comes through a generous life. All right? So uh, I'm trying to offload my nervousness now of talking about money, okay? But um, there's something very powerful about that. So it's clear to live a blessed life, you need to live a generous life. So... Here's the thing. Um, According to Malachi 3, one of the things that breaks the curse of our lives um, and finances is the tithe, Dave's orange bucket. So this is the one that's God's. It's not ours. And what Dave taught us last week was that tithe isn't really giving. It's just returning. It's a principle, okay? Um, And for those of you who say it's old covenant, again, Dave taught us last week that um, when... Abram gave to Melchizedek, who could likely have been Jesus, um, pre-incarnate Jesus, and theologians uh, agree and disagree over that. I tend to think he was. But um, whenever uh, he gave to Melchizedek, it was 470 years before the law. So, it's a principle. It's a principle in in the Bible. And so, we become generous when we when we step past what's expected and we step into the unexpected, that's where blessings. Are. I have a friend who says that the tithe opens the window of heaven, offerings smash the windows of heaven. I like that, all right? And sacrificial giving has nothing to do with an amount. It's to do with the heart. And one of the most sacrificial offerings um, given in the New Testament was given by a widow and she gave two mites, but Jesus said she gave all that she had. So it was a heart condition. And our giving don't purchase miracles or blessings. You can't give just to get a miracle or a blessing. But I do think our lack of generosity closes the windows because God can't bless what's cursed. So if we rob God, he said you're a curse because you rob God, you're you're taking the tithe, all right? You can't pray a blessing over a curse. David Legg, who's our good friend, in his book talks about sins, wounds, and demons. And sins need to be uh, repented of. Wounds need to be healed, and demons need to be cast out. So you can't heal a demon, <laughs> all right? And you can't forgive a wound, all right? There's, there's something about... We've, so so what, what we need to understand is that you can't pray a blessing if you're still living under the curse all right you can't pray a blessing if you haven't repented of that and dealt with it so it's really important all right and so the idea is that the, the idea is that whenever i read the malachi verse i begin to realize that what malachi does he links natural obedience to supernatural outpouring it's one of the passages of scripture that link the natural obedience and supernatural outpouring together they bring the two together for me And the passage we read in Luke 16 says the same. Now remember this. I say this again. You can't buy blessings and miracles from God, right? Simon and Acts taught us that where he tried to buy it and the guys rebuked him. But can I say this? And hear me in this. I'm saying it really carefully. It comes frighteningly close because you can't go where you need to go without generosity. You can't go where you need to go. The tithe is our rent payment for Living on planet Earth, breathing god's air, and I 'm sure like me, none of you want to be evicted just yet, all right so that's that 's what it is, all right your tithe is not mine, and here 's the crazy thing here 's the crazy thing you actually you actually don 't keep it because <laughs> the the enemy has the le- the legal right to devour it, <laughs> so if you don't give it you 'll lose it anyway and uh, I haven't time this morning to show you that in scripture, but it's the truth. He has the legal right to that if you don't give it, all right? And uh, it's not that God curses you, by the way, all right? It's just that when we disobey, we step out from under the realm of God's covering. And when we step out from under the realm of God's covering, then the enemy has free reign. To our lives. And generosity is the cornerstone of having a blessed life because the presence or lack of generosity in our lives gives us a very clear peek into the soul and into the condition of one's heart. And I think what we've done in churches, we've changed the standard a little bit. We've changed the standard of measurement of how people dress or sing or dance or shout or operate in the gifts. However, when you go back to the church in Acts, you find the reason the world was so gobsmacked by the early church was their generosity. It was the thing that blew them away. It was the thing that attracted the world to the church because these guys just, they, they, they lived it. They just, they, they marveled at the generosity of the church. The body would literally sell everything they owned and pull it and just give it to the poor and give it to the needy. And Jesus understood and made it really clear that where our treasures are, our heart would follow. And, um, and if he doesn't have those things, then he doesn't have our heart. And of course, it's more than just our money. In Matthew 25, that parable on the talents talks about our giftings and our abilities and what we have to serve and what we have to give. It's really important. So it's money, time, and abilities. Now here's an interesting verse, all right? It says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, So as Dave taught us with his buckets last week, there's seed to sow and there's food to eat. So we have nine buckets out of which we can eat and we have one to which we sow seed. Now we can sow seed out of the other ones if we so desire. But um, what I'm just saying is God actually allows us to eat bread. (laughs) You'll be glad to know. So there's nothing wrong with if you've worked hard with getting a new car. And there's nothing wrong if you've worked really hard and living in a nice home. Nothing wrong with that at all. This talk isn't about putting guilt on people for having nice things. Because you see, God allows us to sow seed and eat bread. He actually wants us to live a blessed life. He wants us to enjoy the things that we have. So, um, and when you put them into perspective, this is what happens. Now, my mom was one of the best ladies ever lived. She was incredible. But in the last number of years of her life, she, such a big family, there was seven kids and then millions of grandkids. And uh, she had visitors every day. And everybody brought her something. And so what my mom did was, she, if you were in after somebody, you got their gift. <laughs> and an odd time, you'd have got your own. If you'd called a couple of days later, you got your own gift back again. So, and we, we just excused it. We, it became the sort of joke in the house. You know, well, did you get my gift? Because I think I got yours. And, and it sort of became the joke amongst us all And because of our age and all of that. But, you know, in, in general, it's not a really nice thing to happen. So if I were to give you a gift, all right? Um, if I were to give you a gift, which is out of one of these buckets, right? If I was to give you a gift and I bumped into somebody two days later and they said, so I had to give Dave a gift, and I bumped into Rick two days later, and Rick would have said to me, see what Dave gave me? And I was thinking, I, that was a gift. I didn't give that to Dave to sow. I give that to Dave to eat. I give that to him to enjoy. I didn't give it to him to sow into somebody else. And so <laughs> to eat your seed is stupid because <laughs> you devour your future. If you eat your seed, you have nothing to sow. And so if you eat your seed, you devour your future. That's the stupidest thing ever. So that goes without saying. But if you, if you plant your food, it just goes moldy and damp on the ground. So there's a principle. We've got to understand what God has given us to enjoy and what God has given us to sow. And you can sew out of any of these. this is a beautiful thing. And, um, and we'll talk about that more in two ticks. all right now let's let's try and land this a little bit. Here's the thing of um, two tenors of two twenties, and the first one. I don't know where they went, but uh <laughs> you sing. I don't know if, if, if any of your mums said to you when you were growing up, wash your hands. If you're handling money, you need to wash your hands. Anybody say, anybody's mum? Because you know you talk about dirty money. You know, you don't know where it's been. You don't know whose hands that's been in. And she's right, mum was right. And uh, because it's passed through many hands. Now, these are two nice new looking ones. But you never know. Like, this one could have bought drugs. I don't know. Um, it's in my hands now, but it could have bought drugs. This one could have bought sex. I I don't know where this money has been. But here's the thing about this money. Right now, it's in my hands, right? And when it gets into my hands, I'm the general of an army of these soldiers. These become my little soldiers. And I'm the general of this army. And here's the thing about this. I can commission them to establish a course for history to follow. I can change the world with these. And I can change my neighborhood with these. And the amazing thing is that I can send them into battle. I can send these things into battle to bring, to provoke and bring about change. And it's amazing that something so temporal could have been used to be so corrupt. And, uh, and now it's in my hands. And I get to bring it into the kingdom and I get to make a difference, of course, of history. And here's the point. The point is that by doing so, I bring something back into my life that I couldn't get any other way. And it comes through money. Um, generosity is met with gener- generosity. And we know this. Um, we read this in our passage in Luke 16, the man who sold spurringly, reaps spurringly. Last verse. Here's what it says. Give and it'll be given to you, all right? Uh, A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap for the measure you use, it'll be measured out to you. Now, I want to assure you that this guarantee isn't just about money, all right? Or even primarily about money, I don't think. It's about every area of your life. So if you're generous in judgment, guess what? When it comes to judgment, you'll receive generosity. If you're generous in forgiveness, guess what? When it comes to forgiveness, you'll receive generosity. Same with trust, same with respect, same with service. When we give those things in the same measure in which we give, we receive back. I also want you to notice the progression or order of the guarantee. We want the, the good measure, the pressed down, the shaken together. We want the God part without adding anything to the equation. But look at the verse who gives first in the passage? Give, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. On and on I could go. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Resist the devil, and he'll be free from you. We've quoted all the time, and we forget the first bit. Submit yourself unto God, and then resist the devil. We Here's, here's the thing. Um, the, to, to live this blessed life, we need to live a, a a generous life. And here's the timeless truth. The church works. The church is the plan A of God. He, Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for the church. Jesus gave himself up for the church. And here's the thing. The thing is that the blessings of God are not just to sustain us. You see in the, in the, the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, all the blessings were to sustain them because they were out of God's will. But all the miracles in the promised land were to advance them. Things changed. Everything was to advance them. And, and God wants you to live a blessed life. He does not want you to live under a curse. He doesn't want you to live. And that's why um, Claire and the guys are going to come up. We're going to sing a song and receive our offering. But that's why um, Paul would tell the church at Rome in Romans 12, he would say, he, he would say, you just sacrifice your bodies Give them as a living sacrifice unto God. Present your bodies, the author says, as a living sacrifice unto God. And then he says, it's your reasonable service. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all at 10. They're all maxed out in the devotional continuum to you. So the most reasonable thing that you could do back to him, back to them, is to give yourself. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? i finished finish with a story. There's a guy who's come up to sing. Um, I... When, when we started in the house in 96, and then we were in the house a year and a half, and then we were in the farm for three years, and I've, I'd never told this story publicly until um, this morning in the first service, and uh, I've told several people about it, but I've never told it publicly, and uh, it was one of my now I know moments, I always say there's some moments in my life where now I know. And uh, in 2001, we moved into Union Street, and it was the first time we'd really put our hands in the pockets because the people who owned the building out in the farm just allowed us to use it. It was pretty incredible, such a blessing. And when we moved to Lurgan, we bought our first building, the Hope Shop now, which is the Hope Charity Shop. And um, so we had to borrow, we had to borrow money, and um, I was still working full time. We didn't have any we, we had no surplus money, we had no money in the bank, and so we started to try and borrow and, um, from banks and stuff like that, and so I began to really struggle with, the, with this in my head because we'd been called as a family, as a hospital, and as an army, and I began to struggle with this in my head. Would this deplete our giving? Would this deplete the money to the poor? Would this deplete our compassion work? Would we actually have to rein in and not give as much out? And I was talking to the Lord about this and one Sunday morning, I, um, there was a pull-down shutter at the front of our building. I remember pulling down the shutter, put the pins in, locked it for the, to be back in in the evening, went home to get dinner. And just as I sat down to dinner, I got a call. And it was the Lurgan Police Station. And Jill was alive at the time. And we just sat down to lunch. And this call came through. And the policeman said to me, is that Philip Emerson? I said, it is. And he says, I have two men here looking at you. when two men are looking in the police station, you know you're in trouble. And uh, I said, all right, okay, who who are they? He says, don't know who they are. They didn't give their names, but they were on a train from Belfast to Newry. And, um, but their ticket only took them to Lurgan. And they got kicked off the train at Lurgan and they came up here saying, they were told if they get Philip Emerson, he'll get them a ticket to Newry. And I said, okay. So I pushed the dinner. I said, stick that in the oven. I can't eat that now. And uh, I'll go and see who this is. And I drove into Lurgan. This is 2001. This is 21 years ago. And um, these two men were standing outside the Lurgan police station. And I got out of the car. And they were grubby, dirty, unshaven. <clears throat> One of the guys, I remember him vividly. He was big map of ginger hair and a big ginger beard and and it was was like all tats and and, um, the other guy and they were huge they were about maybe 6'3, 6'4 and I felt like like standing with Henry and Desi it was like one of those moments where um, you just feel like what happened to my legs and um, why did I not grow up and uh, they were huge these two guys and uh, so I said uh, how did you get my name and the guy says somebody told us about you and I said, well, "What? What is it you need me to do?" And I, he said, uh, "We need to get to Nuremberg, to Sister Consilio's." And I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, how much do you need?" And he says, "No, we don't want your money. We want you to come and buy us a ticket." And I went, "Okay, dead on." So I, and if you know me in cars, I'm this. this is, I'm going to be really, really tell you. Like, I thought I'm not letting them into my car. <laughs> and then I thought, oh. Okay, Lord, this is a test. And so I said, well, jump in the car and we go down to the train station. So they jumped into the car, and as soon as they get into the car, they said, "Uh, is there somewhere here we could get something to eat? And I said, well, there's a McDonald's here. And she says, aye, let's go to McDonald's. And uh, Margaret, who's here this morning, Margaret taught me years ago, Margaret and Paul have been a big influence in my life over um, the last 25, 30 years. And Margaret is one of the people that talks about smelling the presence of the Lord. I've never forgot that. And she used to say to me some mornings in the little Bible church when we went there, she used to say to me, I can smell the presence of the Lord. I've never forgot that. She says it's like the aroma of Christ. She probably doesn't remember some of these conversations. She says it's like the aroma of Christ. Well, when they get into the car, I was expecting something quite repulsive, but the opposite was true. I got this sweet smell of, I, 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 don't, I can't really put it into words, but I started to think something's weird about this. This doesn't add up. So we went to McDonald's. They ordered, I bought, and um, we drove down to the train station. Again, I went and offered them money for the train. And he says to me, you "No, know, I want you to come and buy us a ticket. And so I got out, went into the train station, bought them both a ticket to go to Nurei, and bid farewell, and get into the car and come home. Now, I know the Bible says that we entertain angels on our ears. But I'm telling you beyond any shadow of doubt, I sat in McDonald's with two angels. And I bought them two boys a ticket in Uri and they never got there because I checked. And um, it was one of my now I know moments. It was one of those moments that I felt the Lord say to me, Phil, just because you bought a building, you never stop doing this. Just because you've invested money, you never never skimp on this pot. Never skimp. And it's been a lesson, as it says, 21 years ago. So, um, with all that said, um, let's receive our offering this morning. What we're going to do, our time's gone, um, but we're going to worship I want you to stay seated because there's a couple of ways to give. The guys are going to come again with the bags. And we're doing this just because we know this is a special offering. All right. Now, if you haven't come prepared to give, you can give via the screen. On the screen now will be a QR code. And I'm going to look really smart now because I'm explaining to you what a QR code is. All right. And I had to get this explained to me. All right. So, what you don't do is take a photograph of that. All right that is no use bringing that home as a photograph. It's live now, so you can put your phone up and that, open your camera, and then open the link, and you can give via that way. Ricky's at the back with the card machine. You can give via the card machine, or you can give, and the guys that are coming with the bags have some envelopes with them, so you, if you want one, and then drop it into the post box on the way out, then there's no problem with that either. So let's stay seated as we worship. Let's give on to the Lord as he has given on to us and uh, let's let's serve him with gladness. Thank you so much for your generosity. And can I say this for all of you business people in here who have built businesses and have blessed the house of God, can I say thank you? Well done. Well done for holding. uh, Tightly and holding it safe for the kingdom. For all of you who are working hard and giving on to the Lord, can I just say a massive thank you. Next week, Dave's going to be sharing again, and he'll show you uh, where lots of our our giving that you give every week goes on a monthly basis, both here and across the world. Um, So I was supposed to do that today and forgot to put the slide up. But Dave will do that next week, so... Let's worship, and then I'll come back and bless our offering together.
0: How great the chasm that lay between.
1: You are our living hope. We thank you for the tithes and offerings that have come in today. We thank you for the offering for Christmas, Lord, that has come in. Lord, we just pray, God, we we uh, put these as soldiers into your army, God. And we declare, oh God, just uh, for those that are less fortunate, those that are poor at this moment of time, those, God, that have had misfortunes of losing jobs and all of the pressures that Um, surround society at this moment in time. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would direct these into the hands of the right people. And we pray for wisdom to our own staff and team as we use what you have um, blessed us with. So God, bless every family, bless every giver, bless every home, bless every circumstance we pray right now. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.